0: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our Protect Our Province COVID 19 briefing for September 30th, 2021. We are live streaming from the traditional and ancestral territory of many peoples. We are grateful to live and work in Alberta, a province on the traditional territory of 48 different First Nations and the unceded homeland of the Metis Nation. We want to acknowledge that Alberta was home to 25 residential institutions designed to steal the identities, the spirit, the health and well-being, and the lives of the traditional stewards of this land. 25. The most in any Canadian province, the trauma of which is still felt today. By willfully ignoring the history of how our nation came to be, we continue to repeat these injustices. If you are a settler in this place, take time to educate yourself on the many injustices and systemic barriers for Indigenous people that continue to plague our present. Deeper understanding requires ongoing and continuous learning, and it is a crucial starting point on the path through truth and reconciliation. Today's conversation is being shared in ASL. To ensure access to completely accurate information, closed captioning will be uploaded after the live stream is complete. This conversation for the public is being shared live on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. We are hopeful that this will increase the accessibility of our briefings for all Albertans. The Protect Our Province COVID-19 Briefing is a regular panel of doctors and experts. We will endeavor to bring timely, accurate updates on the COVID-19 crisis in Alberta and take questions from the media. The views of our panelists are their own and do not represent any institutions they may be affiliated with. We have collectively gathered here as concerned Albertans attempting to ensure that everyone in the province has access to as much information concerning COVID-19 as possible. Today we are going to explore rapid tests and how they can be integrated into our businesses, schools and homes as an added layer in our fight against COVID-19. Thank you everyone for joining us today. Um, we're going to do things in a slightly different order today. Dr. Vipond will be joining us around 445, 450 for an update on today's numbers. We know that we desperately need an urgent fire break to get things under control, but we really thought that it was important to look at the tools that can help us keep that control once Alberta manages to crush the tsunami. I am very pleased today to have experts with me from all over the country. I'm going to bring them all up right off the top for a second to explore how rapid tests can be used once we get through this place and how we can use them in this place to see something different, something that actually can impact our trajectory if and when our leaders ever decide to make some meaningful measures. We are going to start, I'm actually gonna have all of you introduce yourself since we're changing up our order, and then we'll go into our conversation in a couple of presentations before Dr. Barrett has to go away. Maybe we could start with you, Dr. Leung.
1: Hi, Victor Leung. I'm an infectious disease physician and medical microbiologist uh, practicing in Vancouver. Uh, work primarily in infection prevention and control and antimicrobial stewardship. Uh,
2: my name is Dr. Katch Brazada. I'm an emergency physician in Toronto and a co-founder of Masks for Canada, and trying to end this pandemic with things like rapid tests, masks and everything. Thank you so much for having me.
3: Hi, I'm Dr. Leila Asadi. I'm an infectious diseases physician here in Edmonton. Um, you may be seeing me on this. I'm part of the Protect Our Province panel. Um, And uh, before I say anything else, I just want to echo what was just said in that I'm very excited and very happy to have these experts here to discuss rapid tests, but fundamentally in Alberta, we need a firebreak, we need to do something urgently, Um, and rapid tests are a layer on top of that and a layer that will allow us uh, to continue to have control, but what we're doing is completely unsustainable, and again, I just like to ask our leaders to please, please do something urgently.
4: Hi, I'm Lisa Barrett. I'm an infectious disease doctor and clinician scientist in Halifax and uh, have been involved with the COVID response here in Nova Scotia.
0: And which one of you would like to start off our conversation today?
2: So why don't we start with the slides? um...
0: Perfect, let's bring those up for you.
2: So we're going to make a case about why rapid tests are very important, how they can really act and help with the firebreak, hopefully that, uh, it comes. Next slide, please. Uh, rapid tests will not replace PCR tests. Um, they're perfect for that contagious window. Um, they will not pick up early or late infections, but they'll pick up the most important point. Next slide, please. At the most infectious point when viral load is highest. Um, That's what they're designed to do. Next slide, please. This is done by a physician in the UK who uh, was able to chart his own symptoms and course with rapid tests. Um, You can see that the stripe appears um, uh, and disappears over time as his symptoms get better. Next slide, please. The real pioneer is Dr. Michael Mina at Harvard, uh, who introduced the world to this concept. And if you look at the viral load, um, the sensitivity is highest when the person is most infectious, when viral load is highest. And false positives are rare, um, one in 3,000 possibly. Um, so um, this, these are a reliable technology. Next slide, please. Rapid tests in a school program can be done quite easily. Um, unique, you can test two to three times a week. Um, You will catch cases, isolate them, and prevent them from infecting other uh, unvaccinated children. Um, They're already being implemented in schools all over the country in private schools, but they need to be expanded to public schools. Next slide, please. They're easy to organize. Grassroots groups have popped up all across the country. Dr. Barrett will go over an excellent example in Halifax as well. Uh, Next slide, please. And other countries have really have their act together. The UK is distributing free tests to its population. You can buy a pack of 20 tests in Germany for one euro. Uh, We're really far behind on this and we need to get our act in gear. Next slide. And why is it important? Um, We can't let COVID run rampant in the pediatric population. One in 50 may get long COVID. Looking at US US data, one in 100 need hospitalization. Uh, One in 3000 may get uh, uh, the uh, multi-inflammatory disease. So the stakes are high. Kids are not at low risk. They're at some risk and we can prevent it by preventing them all from getting infected. Next slide, please. And we are so close to the end. Vaccinations for the five to 11 group may be available even by Halloween, maybe soon after. We have the next month or two to really protect them and to protect mass infection in that population. We can't just expose them to the virus that we still know so little about its long-term effects. We are so close. Next slide, please. And they are part of a circle of protection. Um, Rapid tests alone will not do it. Vaccines alone will not do it. Masks alone will not do it. But in combination with ventilation upgrades, keeping case counts low, we keep this virus low. And if you look at the example of Ontario, uh, now look at Halifax and Nova Scotia throughout the entire pandemic, this is the only strategy that will work in the long-term. Next slide, please. And it's part of a long-term strategy as well. Like we can use rapid tests to uh, combat periodic flare-ups, use antivirals when they're developed. Um, and next slide, please. And also uh, policy choices do matter. If you look at the performance of different provinces in different countries, the death rates are dramatically different. Um, What we decide to do now makes a difference. Next slide. And what if there is a new variant that resists our vaccines? The next rapid test will be a crucial technology to keep life going. We go back to basic precautions, use rapid tests, and then ramp up production of new antibodies and vaccines. They really are a key technology that we need to use right away. Next slide. What is our ask? Uh, We need 100 million tests. That's enough to screen every school child in Canada twice a week for three months. That's when vaccines will be available to most of them. Redirect tests that have already been given to businesses um, to schools. And we need to organize grassroots groups across the country uh, to mobilize and use these tests. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you very much. We're going to bring Dr. Barrett back into the conversation. Her jurisdiction has taken some really significant steps in terms of implementing a lot of the steps that we just heard about. Um, I saw a picture of someone that I know on Twitter today landing home in Halifax and leaving the airport with a handful of rapid tests to take home. That way, he would know he was keeping himself and his community safe as he went about his daily life. In Alberta right now, I can't even imagine what a regular daily life would look like. But I hope one day it's possible. And so thank you so much for, I like to think, helping us prepare for what we can do next when a daily life is maybe a possibility again.
4: Well, thank you. And thank you for the invitation to be here. Um, My sister lives in Calgary and uh, we are, as we say, on the East Coast, thick as thieves together. Um, That's probably not the right term, but um, I worry about her every day. And I um, sincerely very much hope that some of the storytelling I'm going to do for you this evening will help provide some context. And I'm going to start with the take homes first. Number one, um, I loved the comment that we don't know what this virus does yet. And I think if we start to presume that we know everything about COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2 virus and where it's headed, we will be sorely mistaken. And that includes the ability to just let people get infected and see what happens. It's an inappropriate take on this. Number two, again, to echo this comment and part of the way we structured things in Halifax, Uh, or and in Nova Scotia, was this recognition that at least with the people who were advocating for testing, um, that vaccines are an amazing part of our prevention toolbox. We are incredibly lucky to have the access we do to those vaccines. But it's like your star quarterback on a team, you need the team to win the games, particularly over time. And if we send the quarterback out, the vaccines out on their own, will not only fail, but will end up with a very, very, very sad situation that didn't need to be, that was preventable. And number three is that tests, including rapid tests, are very useful in their usual domain as diagnostic tests to know if you're positive or negative, but they are also an incredibly helpful, useful, an engaging tool to encourage autonomy and personal responsibility around knowing your status and testing yourself to protect your community, both within waves and between waves. And I'll give you some examples of how we did that in in Nova Scotia. So those were the key take homes that I wanna make sure come out from Nova Scotia. And I will say at the beginning, um, the idea of using the rapid tests, which started in scale in November, was not an easy process. And even the ramp up hasn't been seen, especially by people who think of them as traditional diagnostics and only think about surveillance of infectious diseases in a usual and influenza-like way, it has been difficult for them to kind of come around to these new ideas. And um, I think it takes constant advocacy by health professionals and by the public to get us there. So I think that's a key core part of this and why I'm so, pleased that you invited me to speak here because this is an advocacy platform that I think is important, needed, and uh, a a desperately important one at the moment in Alberta. So in November of 2020, we were starting into our wave two, um, and I recognize that our numbers are not the same, but to me, that doesn't matter. People get caught up on scale of economy, but we're a smaller number, but We just managed to be able to do this through force of nature in some ways. November we noticed that there were a lot of cases in our social settings as we had opened up quite a bit last November of 2020 and instead of saying let's let this ride and see how it goes or immediately lockdown um, we said can we please take some of these rapid tests and go to some of the bars in the area um, to some of the regions where people are going to socialize as opposed to sending them home We did that um, with some of our microbiology colleagues, Dr. Todd Hatchett, Dr. Jason LeBlanc, Dr. Ross Davidson, and uh, Dr. Glenn Patrickan. And then we just tested this out. We did some validation those first few nights in some bars. We were there late night when everyone needed and wanted a test. And then we started to say, which was my really important and key part of this, can we get volunteers to do this? We do not need health providers to do even an NP swab. We can teach humans to do this who are not medical providers. So a couple of things. One, we were testing people without symptoms who were out and about. That's very off label for those who live in the diagnostic world. Number two, we were using people who were volunteers who didn't have medical backgrounds, but they were trained to do the NP swaps as well as the tests, the registration, and the texting out to people of their results within 20 minutes. Um, And that was new and different and certainly off label. And then uh, we actually uh, started getting volunteers to run these all around town in our social areas where most of our cases happened. And that has been ongoing since November of 2020. And between several hundred now and thousands of people a day get tested at those sites, completely run by volunteers from our communities. We next fluxed into rapid antigen use um, in the context of um, people in wave three. So we saw wave three coming. We knew that some of it was going to be delta, a little less in Nova Scotia, but none of us wanted to go down that road. And so we reactivated and ramped up our pop-up testing sites. Again, volunteer and community-led people walk in, they're registered in a low-key setting, Um, nothing needed except a name and a, a cell phone number or a phone number or a shelter where they live to get a result within 20 minutes. Volunteer does their test and we moved on. We tested enough people in wave three that during the pre-peak period before maximum public health measures otherwise were introduced, we detected 20% of the cases in wave three with asymptomatic rapid community-led testing that gave us, I believe, although I, we can't prove it altogether, a pragmatic research study design that we haven't published yet, we were able to demonstrate a smaller peak and to bring that peak down more quickly by getting early into the cases and areas where people were and they were asymptomatic. And those were all rapid antigen tests. They were MP tests and we've now transitioned to front of nose or Nares tests uh, with rapid antigen. For asymptomatic people, anyone who wants to come to one of our pop-up sites in Halifax and areas with community spread can come, get a rapid test, get the result back. But importantly, we've now developed a system where our volunteers package these tests into individual take home tests. People can come by, they can either get tested there, or they can take some tests home with them. They may have vulnerable family members, they may be unvaccinated for various reasons. There's no questions asked, you can take tests home with you and we've given out over 52,000 of those tests within the last eight to 10 weeks in Nova Scotia as well to augment our pop up testing. In addition to our other streams of testing, as you mentioned, at the airport, we are giving them away, as well as in workplaces, which we have a very healthy program across the province, uh, and increasingly in other high-risk settings, including, as we announced on Wednesday now, um, rapid tests for anyone, any school child below the age of 12 with some uh, symptoms, or in rural areas, any symptoms if they don't have easy access to a PCR test. And we're doing that by packaging these tests. We've done 200,000 in the last um, two and a half days with um, about uh, between 50 and 60 volunteers a day. So what am I trying to say? Um, Not just between waves, but in waves, rapid antigen tests are important, not just for the diagnostic purpose, but of giving volunteers who are doing the testing, setting up test kits, but also the volunteers who come out with their asymptomatic noses to get tested. We've given people a job in the pandemic to keep each other safe. Vaccines are amazing, but we can't leave that quarterback out there on their own. And we have very much invested in making sure people have access to as many rapid tests as we can get, and we'll make them into the format we need to with volunteer support that doesn't use health professionals to have to do a swab unless they need to go for PCR after. Now that's gonna be done by the health system and they are health professionals. But basically we've turned testing into a community engagement tool that also helps people understand what their risk is to others around them, regardless of their vaccination status. Cause let's be clear, vaccines are amazing, but they're not magic. And we need to get to those asymptomatic infections with asymptomatic rapid testing or we are never going to get through this until we vaccinate our younger children and have a season of natural immunity. And hopefully this virus starts to back off, which I haven't seen yet, uh, both immunologically and virologically. And uh, I'm happy to take any questions if there's time or otherwise, Um, thank you so much for the invite and happy to uh, provide further information as well after.
0: Thank you so very much, Dr. Barrett. Just to reiterate, uh, adequate surveillance. And in this case, what sounds like very community fulfilling surveillance. And your early indicators are showing that that helped reduce transmission by 20% of your third wave.
4: Well, not by 20%. So what we found was 20% of the cases were found early in wave three through our asymptomatic people. So they didn't even have any symptoms yet, which allows us to get people at a time when their contact number, just because they're less infectious for less time, is shorter. Uh, And back to the point about antigen tests, particularly the ones we're using, uh, the PanBio primarily, but also a Veritor test from BD, Um, That allows us to link infectivity. That's the key time we want with these asymptomatic tests. But we don't focus, to tell you the truth, a whole lot on the characteristics of the test, because this is not our formal surveillance program. That's done through workplace and a very rigid, regimented system of reporting and the like. Um, This is meant to augment that rigid reporting of epidemiology to community-led.
0: Thank you so very much for your time today and for joining us from the opposite side of the country. Um, Hopefully we will get the opportunity to have this conversation again when Albertans can also think beyond our current extreme crisis. (laughs)
4: And I hope your government gives uh, the advocates and other folks on this call tonight access. All we needed was access. We didn't really ask permission for the rest of it, um, down to giving out test kits with condoms now in our downtown because we know that's where our spread is. I think just take the, if you got the kits, you can take the initiative and, you know, right now it's time to beg forgiveness later, I think.
0: Thank you very much. I'm gonna bring Dr. Vipond into the conversation so we can go towards where we usually begin. Dr. Vipond, let's talk about today.
5: So before we go into the numbers, I wanna thank Dr. Barrett for being here today. Um, And I wanna extend an invitation for her for next week. We're still locking down days, but either Tuesday or Thursday, we wanna do something on um, the effective restrictions of, of public health measures uh, outside of vaccines to to mitigate spread. And uh, we know Nova Scotia has been the, the best in the country as far as using these measures effectively. So um, I'll extend that invitation now, but we'll also be reaching out by email. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out is one of the reasons why perhaps we're not using these tests as well as we should be here. And I think Dr. Barrett touched on this is that they're really effective to catch asymptomatic spread and I think there's been a minimization of the role of asymptomatic spread by our government and the role of schools um, in, in spreading COVID. So I'm hoping uh, when we get there that Dr. Leung and, and Dr. Perzada can can speak to that. Um, all right, let's go to today's numbers. Uh, I'm going to bring up my numbers here you Can go to the slides, Michelle. Oh, we don't have slides. We're,
0: we do. We are just going to track okay. them down. One moment.
5: I can just riff off the numbers um, if uh, if they're not ready. Let me just bring those up.
0: Just begin and we will pop them up for you partway through and we'll just go to wherever. Sure. So cases uh, yesterday were
5: 1748, which was a 3.6% increase over last week's last Wednesday's 1687. Um, so, and the seven day average is also up 4% to 1656. So essentially we're, we're riding pretty flat. So we're plateauing, but, um, this is very different from previous, uh, previous waves where we kind of had a sharp peak and then a plummeting down. Um, we are not sharply peaking. We are plateauing. And if we plateau at 1600, 1700 cases per day, um, we are going to be in big trouble because that's still a huge amount of uh, influx into our healthcare system, and not to mention the long COVID and the issues with long COVID. So, hospitalizations um, continue to be revised, uh, but we are generally um, uh, bouncing around up and down. Uh, so, the last couple of days we've gone from on Monday. Uh, 865 to 830 to 820 so that is a relatively good trend we peaked out at 865 on monday Um, but it's been bouncing all over the place and so there's uh, there's really no predictability to this uh, now i i suspect will probably bounce around this level for inpatients and uh, sorry just to be clear that's inpatients not total hospitalizations um, uh, for a while On the plus side, we are continuing to drop our ICU numbers uh, minus five in the last 24 hours to 263. I just want to uh, emphasize that our peds hospitalizations are up again another two, one in the uh, less than one age and one to the five to nine range. We had 20 deaths in the last 24 or announced in the last 24 hours, and that includes a male uh, 20 to 29 in the north zone. That's the youngest death we had today are announced today. And then demographics, the the five to 11, which uh, age group, which has just been skyrocketing, is finally flattening, but it's flattening again, just like those cases at a very high level. So we can't sustain that for long. Think of all the, the long COVID that will be resulting from this. And um, just to, as far as geographics go, we see another uh, increase in the north going to new record levels uh, in the north today, also with Positivity going above 20%. So um, just wanted to to mention as far as the uh, announcement by the government today, it was essentially just a vaccination announcement saying that government workers needed to be vaccinated. I think this is indicative of the problem we're in, in that vaccines are being um, touted as the way out of this. What we really need is vaccines and not vaccines instead of. So we really do need better public health measures and that's why we're calling for a fire break uh, as an organization Pro- protect our province. Um, we really need to have um, schools closed for a short-term period, and then those schools COVID um, prevented, like uh, and the prevention programs improve there. And we need to uh, to really shut down large swaths of society while we can reset our healthcare system. And we're just not seeing that. So I'm not sure how many more deaths it's going to take before Premier Kenny decides that. Uh, um, you know he he can do the right thing, but uh, it looks like there's more deaths, more long COVID, and more illness in our future. So, so I'm so sorry we haven't been able to do more, Alberta. We're we're trying as hard as we can.
0: I'm going to bring Dr. Schwartz in as well right now. Um, and Dr. Asadi and Dr. Leung, before we move back into our conversation around rapid tests. Oh, Dr. Perzada is here too. Um, I believe that we have a couple of media questions coming through momentarily. But on that note, having just looked at those numbers, folks in province who were able to listen to the press conference today and our experts not from Alberta, what do you guys think? As an Albertan, I I don't know what to do. As a member of Protect Our Province, we are running out of, we're beyond out of options. And, yeah, thoughts?
5: We have, we've had some discussions with labor movements. Um, you know, is there something that labor can do? We can't go out on the streets right now. It's too dangerous. I would not... Um, I would not lead a, a movement uh, in protest when Delta is so infectious, it's better outdoors, but it's not zero. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I'm at a loss as well. We need, we need our government to step up.
2: I think, um, what if you um, encourage people to, um, you know, try to implement rapid tests um, in their own schools? That's one thing and maybe even close schools uh, ahead of what the governments are doing. It looks like they're not even testing or reporting numbers in Alberta now.
5: Yeah, there's no reporting of um, numbers to the school boards from AHS. Certain school boards are allowing that information if they get a self-reported case, um, they're allowing that information to go back to, to parents. <clears throat> we got a notice yesterday, in fact, from for our oldest, so.
3: So yeah, there's no notification of schools, uh, no mandatory notification of positive cases. So um, certainly rapid tests, and we have been advocating for use of rapid tests in schools because schools are unfortunately a huge driver of this wave. And I think we have to accept that. And unfortunately we need to close schools. And while the schools are closed, implement rapid testing strategies, add uh, air purification strategies, um, ensure that kids are wearing masks when they're at their at their desks because that's not even in place in some places. Um, but we need to do all those things while the schools are shut down and there's a fire break because this plateau just isn't sustainable. Um, and 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 normally we do have other physicians here, there are a lot of the Protect Our Province panel um, who come but they're exhausted. Like there's there's just like how how long can you keep saying the same things over and over again? Um, without anybody in power responding. Like how many stories of tragic deaths do you have to recount? How many stories of delayed surgeries do you have to recount? And how long is this gonna go on for? Um, so there, there's this exhaustion that's that's really set into our province.
0: I'm gonna bring in Teresa Kendallman from CBC Edmonton with a couple of questions for our panel. Hi, Teresa. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to answer a few things. Uh, you've all kind of touched on the announcement today, uh, but I was just hoping you could talk a bit more about the requirement for uh, vaccines among public sector employees and your thoughts about, uh, about that
4: mandate coming into play and maybe the timeline as well. I don't know if you heard it was uh, mid-October for their first shot or to submit their um, proof of vaccination and then
0: uh, mid-November for full vaccination. So maybe just some reaction to that, if you could.
2: It seems like something that should have been done months ago, like it uh, and other provinces have done this already. Like um, it's not even an issue here um, for many industries that have had employer mandates in Ontario. So it's a little late, like this surge means that a large, not too many people are getting infected in Alberta right now. Um, it's gonna take a while for these folks to develop immunity. Um, I guess too little, too late, from my point of view.
0: Um, do you have any concerns about leaning too heavily into vaccinations at this point? I think someone was just kind of kind of speaking to that point. If they, if you don't mind expanding, perhaps.
2: So I think um, what we found um, throughout this pandemic, and what Dr. Barrett mentioned, is that. Um, In Ontario, at least, what we've seen is that you need a combination approach. Um, Our schools, especially in the GTA, have the lowest um, infection rate so far. You know, it's early, but we have HEPA filters in our classrooms. We have children masks from junior kindergarten. And some private schools are doing rapid tests. So we've tried to ensure here every element of success. And so far, our our R0 level is um, below 1. So success is possible. All of this is possible now and it can be implemented now in Alberta with the tools that are available. Um, I think Victor can speak also to what he had to do to control things in uh, facility outbreaks. A combination of these effects, improved ventilation, masking, rapid tests, um, N95 masks, everything together has to be done. You take one of these elements out, it doesn't work.
6: So if I can just add to that, um, I I would agree that this is too late. the, the, the important thing right now is we need to ease the burden on our healthcare system by, um, by curbing the, the flow, the flood really, of, of patients into our hospital and into the ICU. And so for vaccination to have an effect, it, it needs to have happened a month ago. like Yes, we still need to encourage vaccination. This is still a good policy to implement now um you know it's better than never but really what we're begging for is some kind of public health measure that's going to decrease um transmissions now and so what that is to us is a fire break that's going to um you know remove people from the the um the direct uh path of the virus and that can you know can can reduce the number of patients that that land in our ICU. And again, that's not going to happen Monday, that's not going to happen next week. Even if there is a a firebreak instituted now, the effects would only be in about two weeks from now. And we are really, you know, despite um, how the premier likes to play it down, we're really still in a very desperate situation. You know, we still have ICUs that are flowing out into operating rooms in Edmonton, and you know, there's no way that we can provide safe care in these circumstances. And so, um, you know, absolutely, um, vaccination is important. It needs to be a a central part of any um, multifaceted approach. But what we need right now, more urgently than that, is to decrease new infections through a firebreak.
4: Thank you all for answering my questions.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you very much for joining us. Dr. Liang. I just heard that you have done some fantastic work in getting facility outbreaks under control and identified with rapid tests. Could I ask you to tell us about this? We have a lot of outbreaks happening right now. Um, particularly extreme rises in tiny humans, um, daycares are struggling a lot in Alberta. Every day more and more added to our outbreak list. Well, twice a week we don't get to see our outbreak list every day. Um, and so as much as I know we need to stop the fire, I know that we need the tools to keep the embers down when we do stop it. Mm-hmm.
1: Sure. Um, I think I'll start just uh, similar to um, what Dr. Barrett was describing, their experience and and course. And I'll try to keep it brief, just uh, starting back in uh, late November, December. Uh, Earlier on in the year, we had uh, significant outbreaks throughout the province in our long-term care facilities. A very tragic uh, number of deaths and the modeling from the independent modeling group led by dr caroline cullen showed that the deployment of rapid testing in the sites for healthcare workers at the time would have significantly reduced the number of uh, seniors in long-term care facilities from acquiring the infection and from dying and because the rapid test use was really indicated that that time for staff members and we were seeing how staff unknowingly would bring in the infection and transmit it during their asymptomatic stage. And even early on in the summer when we had one of our first outbreaks, we did asymptomatic testing, not with the rapid antigen test, but with PCR tests. And on the first few days found that there was a 16% positivity rate among uh, healthcare workers unfortunately that program was shut down because i think at the time there was still not um uh, igno- strong acknowledgement of asymptomatic transmission and so it was all symptom based so fast forward to the, sorry to december of 2020 uh when we were trying to prepare prepare and utilize the tools that were already available so the federal government at the time had already purchased procured the rapid tests. At that time, the challenge was that they were still nasopharyngeal swabs. So what we did is we recruited uh, medical students from University of British Columbia, and about uh, 35 students signed up. Over the Christmas holidays, we brought them in for training sessions, uh, particularly trying to teach them how to properly do a nasopharyngeal swab. And I still see on um, uh, testing sites how nasopharyngeal swabs are still performed incorrectly, uh, causing discomfort. So empowering students uh, to do this and then deploying them to long-term care facilities where there was an agreement for pilots to take place. And so we had some of those pilots. And during those pilots, of course, the rapid antigen test using the nasopharyngeal swab picked up uh, individual healthcare worker cases. Unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of uh, momentum or agreement to expand this uh, type of program. The uh, feedback that we got was that it would require too many resources at a time when it was challenging, uh, but without acknowledging creative solutions like what was done in Nova Scotia about how we could overcome some of these barriers. And so when the nasal swabs, as opposed to the nasal pharyngeal swabs came, uh, this allowed us to uh, deploy these tests in a much more scalable way, because then it bypassed this question about whether or not there were enough resources. So we started off with education about self-training, both healthcare workers and community level, on how to do nasal uh, swabs and do self-testing using uh, modalities like YouTube and TikTok to make concise videos. And since then, we've worked with uh, one of the health authorities to try to introduce this as a cluster-busting approach, where When you have an area within a health authority that has a high incidence of transmission, whether we could deploy these tests and hand them out through community groups uh, so that people uh, can take advantage of uh, utilizing these tests at home. And that would uh, counteract much of the problems with travel, uh, time waiting for testing sites. That program is still not yet uh, deployed unfortunately so in the meantime what we've done is just acted locally when we've had outbreaks in our long-term care facilities one of the key tools we've had to use is uh, rapid engine testing and so we've uh, now started with these uh, pre-packaged kits that we've made the kits contain seven tests similar to what uh, vera was describing Uh, we've had uh, people prepare these kits And there's a one-page instruction along with a QR code that uh, links to a YouTube video on how to do this at home. And so staff members involved in the facility uh, with the early detection of an outbreak take these tests home and do it before coming to work each day. And through that, we have been uh, identifying in both acute care and long-term care uh, cases of asymptomatic infection. Uh, We've used them in shelters uh, because our facility uh, one of the facilities that I work at uh, does service uh, marginalized population or underhoused. And so being uh, in close proximity to a shelter, one way to reduce transmission is to uh, stop it uh, in congregate settings. And the use in shelters is done by the staff there uh, without formal health care training, but who have gone through basic level training on how to introduce these tests for uh, people who live in the shelters to do. I think uh, to address the question about schools, one thing that we can do is keep schools open, but at the same time uh, have mitigation measures. And when there is clusters identified in the school or an outbreak declared, it is a clear signal that there's transmission. And when there's transmission, you know that there's gonna be asymptomatic cases. And so to keep the school open, you can uh, have the school where there's an outbreak or cluster declared, to offer this type of uh, home-based kits to uh, children uh, so that it can be done at home before going to school. And it wouldn't need to be a significant uh, number of tests, uh, whether it be in a classroom or for the whole school, each student can have five tests because we know that with Delta, the serial interval is closer to four days. So once you've identified a cluster, you can start off with five tests each uh, for every member there. uh, reassess after five days to determine if it needs to continue. And so our plan is to continue to do this in uh, outbreaks along with other measures. Uh, in our most recent long-term care facility outbreak, we deployed this test for staff. We also use it for patients or residents in the facility as well, because although we have a, a lab that is very responsive to providing uh, rapid PCR results, having the rapid antigen test still allows us uh An additional uh, level of uh, awareness and earlier detection uh, to identify cases Uh, and in the acute care setting we're able to do this so that we can move patients off from a ward that's not meant to care for COVID because it doesn't have the adequate ventilation but directly to a COVID ward once we pick up cases early on. Uh, The one last example I'd like to give is for healthcare workers Right now in British Columbia, and I'm not sure all the rules in other provinces, if you have a household member who's positive, you are told that you don't need to self-quarantine if you've been uh, vaccinated or 14 days post-vaccination, which applies to almost most of the healthcare workers. But we know that secondary attack rates with vaccination is still uh, uh, a concern. It's uh, uh, It's not zero. And so to offer these healthcare workers who are coming to work having the anxiety of wondering, are they gonna be spreading this infection? We give them these kits as well if they have a household uh, confirmed contact. And so they test. And in the last month we've identified uh, multiple number of healthcare workers who eventually turned positive, but picked up first with rapid antigen testing. So decreasing the number of contacts and exposures on average by 24 to 48 hours.
0: It is just absolutely amazing. And in so many ways, as someone who is living in Alberta right now, beyond comprehension, just the fact that you know that students in your school have COVID, um, in all honesty, is beyond my current comprehension as our province has decided to no longer notify parents or classmates that someone in their class has tested positive for COVID. Um, I as a human, am so desperate for the future that the two of you have, even with its perfectly imperfect bumps and roads um, in your provinces right now. Um, As a human, things that I don't know that I would really love to know is where does one get a rapid test? How does one use a rapid test? So it turns out that most
3: provinces still have a large stockpile of rapid tests available that were provided by the federal government months ago. So in fact, in I think the majority of provinces, um, there are still many available. So I think close to 900,000 are available in Alberta. Um, small businesses can already access them. Um, and the, my hope is that we will start giving others access in particular schools, uh, I think would be an excellent place to deploy this tool. But even just as Nova Scotia does, it should be widely available to everybody. Um, and I, I don't know, Dr. Leung and, and Dr. Prasad, what your experiences are.
1: Yeah, I would say that definitely BC has a lot in storage. And what the, the problem is that when we don't utilize the tests that are there, Um, I mean, there were many that were going to expire, but what ended up happening is the manufacturer just extended the expiration date. So that's very positive. But on the downside, by not deploying these and making it accessible uh, and thinking about equity principles, what you create is a system where the people who are most affected and have um, lower um, uh, sort of resources, they have to travel to a testing site. And now with testing sites, Uh, decreasing in number and service hours. People have, my colleagues the other day had to uh, take time off work, wait two and a half hours. I mean, it was a drive-through, but you're still waiting in the car for two and a half hours. Uh, The pollution that that's creating, the time, the loss of productivity, the anxiety while waiting, that's a significant barrier. So instead of just thinking about ramping up testing sites, we need to be thinking about adjunctive measures like rapid tests. And um, by not deploying this uh, freely, what's happening is businesses, and we've seen them, um, are selling them online, but making a huge profit um, for selling them for sometimes four times or more what it actually costs for them to purchase directly from the manufacturer. So these companies um, work with Abbott or other manufacturers to buy them large quantities and then just resell it and so maybe one thing that should happen is for those who can afford it um, that have the reverse they should maybe consider buying it and donating it back to groups that can't and then for those who are struggling um, the government needs to be using this targeted to those groups maybe as a principle sort of equity principle
2: So I'll give you an example of, um, in Ontario, things are a little bit in chaos right now. There was um, a rapid testing program that was available to businesses. Uh, Schools started to order bulk tests to start using in classrooms, and then the province is trying to restrict that. But a lot of schools are just going ahead because they have supplies. So it's kind of um, chaos right now. Uh, The numbers in Ontario are not bad. uh, But I'll tell you, I'll give you an example just personally. So my my, uh, oldest boy had a fever today. I tested him negative. I tested uh, uh, my wife, negative. I tested myself, negative. And I knew we all knew within 15-20 minutes that we likely did not have a COVID case um, in this house. We're going to do a formal PCR test tomorrow just to ensure and to show the school. So A, um, all of his classmates are protected. Um, They won't um, catch COVID. We won't send him to school until he's negative. And B, we have peace of mind and we won't meet with his, um, we're able to meet with his, um, grandparents, uh, without too much fear, who will also do a test as well. So this changes, um, the risk calculation. This makes a lot of things safer. And when you have high community prevalence, like you have in Alberta right now, which is just disastrously going through communities, this is kind of like throwing a blanket on a fire, um. This is a tool that's so easy. It's, it, to manufacture these things, it's pennies on the dollar. It's basically printing stuff on pieces of paper and wrapping it in plastic. Like Our governments can bulk manufacture these and give it to everyone. Other governments have. Um, I have two boxes behind me, which I got from a medical supply company, and this is what we use in our family. And the school gave us another box to uh, test our child twice a week. So it can be done. The supplies are there. Um, you just need to, I think if the government's not cooperating, get, do a donation drive. Like I was part of conquer COVID, um, early on in the pandemic. We did donation drives for PPE, maybe schools can do donation drives for rapid tests from businesses and from people and start screening everyone. Um, we only have a month basically just keep them safe.
3: I think that the fear of using them needs to be taken away in that you don't need to be, you know, medical in any way they're designed for you to be using them at home. So if they were more widely available and people knew that it was okay to use them um, and to rely on the results in terms of letting, you know, whether you're at a point where you're going to be infectious, they're, they're very reliable in that stage when you're most likely to be contagious. If people understood that i mean of course they're not perfect no no test is no tool no mitigation strategy is but it's um it's something that could really benefit all of us right now
1: and even if you look at the economics of it compared to how much it costs to set up a pcr test like the infrastructure of the testing the reagents uh the laboratory staff all that costs and um, Michael Minna, Dr. Michael Minna from Harvard, um, they had a position paper with one of the economists there that showed that using this type, if they had scaled up from the beginning during, uh, in, in the U S for example, that that would have significantly been, uh, shown to be cost, cost savings, uh, just because of the frequency, the less expensive testing, that's available and the less infrastructure that's required to deploy this.
2: I think also, if you look at recent numbers released in Ontario, 10% of recovered COVID patients have long-term symptoms like chronic fatigue or brain fog. Um, if any of you have ever seen someone with chronic fatigue or with these symptoms, like this is almost always a lifelong condition. Um, so that person, a lot of these people will be disabled for, for a long period of time. Um, the costs, if you can prevent this with um, a $5 test, can you imagine how much we're saving, how many life years we're saving of good quality life years uh, by doing this, by bringing numbers down? So it really is a no brainer. And I really hope your government in Alberta sees the light on this.
3: And as I think Dr. Leung was already talking about schools, but this, um, unfortunately, we stopped notifying classes when there's a COVID case because we didn't want everyone to quarantine. But as Dr. Mina says, this is an information problem. We quarantine because we don't know who has gone on to become infected. But with rapid tests, you can allow the kids to stay in school while still trying to minimize spread as much as possible.
0: And And Dr. Asadi, how many rapid tests did you say were sitting in storage in Alberta right now?
3: The last time that I looked, I think it was approximately nine hundred thousand were still available, um, and you know a lot of uh, a lot of COVID has become politicized. You know, masks became politicized. There's a lot of misinformation about vaccines, but rapid tests are a space that, knock on wood, so far has not. They haven't mostly has remained out of the political politicization sphere. So maybe this is a tool that more people can get behind and you have to meet people where they're at i think dr barrett was saying that you know we can't be paternalistic and say oh well you know the rapid test isn't a hundred percent you still might be infectious it's, yes nothing is a hundred percent but this gives people a bit more information and allows them to do whatever activity they want to do with more confidence and uh, greater safety for those around them
0: Albertans, I would really like you to hear what Dr. Asadi just said, that this has not become politicized yet. Our premier was attempting that today during the press conference. He specifically said that Health Canada is not approving enough rapid tests fast enough, which may be true. I can't speak to that. But if we have a whole lot of them in this province that aren't being used to do the best work that they can and be used to do what they were designed to do. That speaks volumes.
1: Yeah. And, and, and this is, uh, as Dr. Minot referred to, this is a public health tool. If, if in a public health emergency, you need to use the tools that you have. And this is a testing tool that is going to benefit public health.
0: And that is why we are all here. Um, And we are at that time where I have to stop our conversation, um, even though I would love to keep it going for the next two hours. So thank you all so very much for joining us. Um, Our panelists, media, folks watching at home, thank you. Um, We plan to be back on Tuesday, but every day lately seems to alter the course of the next. Albertans, be careful with each other this weekend. I won't say practice kindness as that sentiment has been misused and abused, but I will ask everyone watching to offer empathy to everyone they know. Individual differences that can manifest to society with healthy innovation and growth have been distorted and capitalized on to cultivate a toxicity that I fear will only continue to fester deep divisions if we don't. I'm not advocating to be quiet or roll over or be placating to those with the loudest, scariest voices, but I do know that we can lessen the gap of division if we rebuild and allow people to feel heard. So, I guess what I don't know. I guess what I'm asking today, because I always seem to ask something, is don't give up on each other. Kenny, Copping, Hinshaw, Lagrange, I, they can no longer get a free pass on this pandemic response. When Albertans have had floods and fires in the past, our municipal, provincial, and federal leaders have rallied and come to the front lines in person to see, hear, feel, and understand the catastrophe. We are on fire and experts from all over the country, like right now, right here with us are trying to offer us their help support and their advice and it seems like every day is becoming more and more of a losing battle to get our government to take meaningful action as a bunch of the protect our province members have mentioned today we need an immediate fire break and in all honesty premier dr henshaw Minister Copping, if you won't implement one, you have to tell us why. I need to know why since July 1st, we have lost 416 Albertans. Why this week alone, we have lost 96. Come, talk to us all of us transparently and authentically. Until next time, remember COVID-19 is airborne, wear the best available mask you have access to and vaccinations really do save lives. Thank you and stay safe everyone.